I'm Ashley Smith Thomas, a millennial talking about freedom and national security for America. I'm the founder of Freedoms Fund USA, a nonprofit to protect freedom and national security. I am a speaker, advocate, and thought leader. I spent 2016 saving Christians targeted by ISIS in the Middle East. This was truly an eye-opening and life-changing experience as I watched and learned from my fellow Christians who longed for freedom. It was that experience that became the inspiration to start this show. In this show, come with me as I interview experts about key freedom issues in America and how we can protect freedom. Because if we lose our freedom, how can we bring freedom to the whole world? Let's take action together and let freedom ring. Welcome. My name is Ashley Smith Thomas, and I am the host of Freedom Talks. The purpose of this show is to talk about key freedom and national security issues that impact our future. And as you know, I like to bring on subject matter experts onto the program to talk about these key freedom issues but more importantly, provide us a call to action. Because as you know, we can be informed on these things and have the knowledge, but then what do we do with it? So the power belongs to us, we the people. So a key freedom issue that really needs to be discussed right now is this notion of a political ideology that believes and is pushing um, the idea of court reform. But really what it is, is court packing, because they believe that the Supreme Court needs to be packed with justices. But is that a violation to the U.S. Constitution? And if the court is indeed, quote, reformed, then what does that really mean for the judicial branch? And what does that mean for the American people? Well, today with me, I have an incredible attorney from First Liberty Institute who can speak to this issue. And today I have with me Cassie Doolin. To share a little bit more about Cassie, Cassie serves as the Director of Government Affairs and Counsel for First Liberty Institute, focusing on appellate litigation and legislative affairs. Before law school, Doolin served as Chief Communications Officer for First Liberty Institute, and she previously worked on local, state, and national political campaigns and consulted for several nonprofit organizations. She received her law degree from Georgetown Law, where she was a Georgetown Law Merit Scholar, a Public Interest Fellow, Research Assistant for Professor Randy Barnett at the Georgetown Center for the Constitution. She was Vice President of Advocates for Life and on the Executive Board of the Federalist Society. During law school, Doolin clerked for the Department of Justice Office of Legal Policy, Senator John Cornyn's Senate Judiciary Committee Office, as well as Senator Ted Cruz's Senate Judiciary Committee Office. She is a Blackstone Legal Fellow and mentor and is on the board of the Federalist Society's D.C. Young Lawyers Chapter. Doolin received her Bachelor of Arts in Communications from Trinity Graduate School and Seminary and her Master of Arts in Government from Regent University. In 2023, Cassie will serve as a law clerk to the Honorable James C. Ho of the United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. Cassie is a native of Dallas-Fort Worth and is a member of the Texas State Bar and the D.C. Bar. Cassie, thank you so much for joining us today. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. So one of the first questions that I want to ask you is why did you become an attorney and why did you plan on attending law school? 
Sure. Those are great questions. And for me, uh, it really did start with a passion that I had for the Constitution. Um, Back right after college, I went to a political youth leadership program and learned about the Constitution really for the first time and how our freedoms that we have in America are just incredible gifts, but that they're only ever one generation away from extinction. And that made me want to get involved and do what I can to protect our freedoms. And through several things, which you mentioned in my bio, I ended up at First Liberty Institute. And when I ended up there, I was uh, working on the communication side of the team and really just fell in love with the work that we did. We were our attorneys were on the front lines every day protecting our most important fundamental first right. And that is the right to religious freedom. And I wanted to be a greater part of that. So went to Georgetown Law, got my degree, and now I get to be on the legal team defending those clients. And it's an incredible honor. That is amazing. You know, when studying about the Constitution and jurisprudence and even just the basic of what our founding fathers uh, did to establish our country, we know that we have three branches of government. But one that really appears to be under attack right now at this moment is the judicial branch. Can you share with us the role of the judicial branch and why we have a justice system? Sure thing. So one of the things that's so brilliant about our Constitution and one of the reasons it's been such a lasting document is because of our structure of government with three branches. You've got administrative and legislative and judicial. And the judicial has incredible value because of how it protects our due process rights. And we have a limited form of government, or at least our constitution was intended to create a limited form of government. But as I see in my work as an attorney every day, a lot of times the government gets it wrong when it comes to our freedoms. And if you don't have a judicial branch, all you have is a dictatorship because what the government says goes. But when you have a judicial branch, you're supposed to have a neutral third party arbiter who doesn't have an interest in either party or in either side. They just care about the law. And when you have that and it's strong and independent, the way our Constitution intended, rights are protected. And when you don't have that, um, really not good things happen. So why do you think that the justice system or I should say um, that there's this notion that the justice system needs to change. Why do you think there's this push for a change? Sure. So I think this has really partly happened because when the Biden administration came to power, President Biden decided to create a commission called the Commission on the Supreme Court to look at court reform. And court reform can mean a lot of different things. Something Sometimes it's as minor as saying, oh, you have two parties in a case. For example, First Liberty just took a case to the Supreme Court Uh, called Kennedy versus Bremerton School District. It was about a high school football coach who was fired for taking a knee and praying silently for about 15 seconds after football games. We litigated that case for seven years all the way up to the court. And when you get to the court, the parties each write their own briefs. So we wrote a brief on behalf of Coach Kennedy and another organization wrote a brief on behalf of the school district. But then you have these parties called amici, and it could be someone who are other coaches and they're saying, hey, this is really going to impact us. Or minorities who are saying, court, you really need to consider the implications of this. And right now they have to, if you want to file one of those briefs, you have to contact both parties and do all this paperwork. And one of the reforms they're looking at is saying, you know what, it's wasting time for everybody to file the paperwork. Let's just say that anyone who wants to file a brief, an amicus brief in support of those parties can. So sometimes when we're talking about court reform, it's really minor stuff like that. But it can, and that can be very procedural and that's great. 
but it can also be very major and not just looking at how do we make the court run better and how do we make the judiciary run better, but how are we going to totally transform the institution of the court? And one of the ways that the Biden administration was looking at was court packing, and that's something that they considered with that commission. So I know that they talked about court packing. I know that that was something that President Biden had campaigned on. Um, And then he kind of backed off that, saying that we're not going to do it. But then now uh, this commission had come forward saying, really advising him not to pack the court. Um, Reports show that Americans, 68 percent of Americans do not want the court packed. Why do you think they're now calling it court reform? Do you think that's in a way to try and make it sound softer and less threatening? 100%. I think that there are a lot of people who know that it would be very dangerous to American freedoms to pack the court. And the way that would work is right now, the President Trump in the last administration nominated and got confirmed three Supreme Court justices, Justice Gorsuch, Justice Kavanaugh, and Justice Barrett. And with that, it really shifted the ideological balance of the court. You've got now six justices on the court who are strong proponents of textualism and originalism and ensuring that the Constitution is upheld, and three who are considered more liberal. Well, when it wasn't that balance, when it was more closely balanced, or when it was a majority of liberals, which had happened for a large part of the last century, there were no calls for court reform. But now that the liberal justices are in the minority, suddenly these calls have come forward. And the problem with court packing, what a lot of people don't seem to realize, and just to clarify what it would do, is uh, the Biden administration wants to look at adding more justices. So if you've got six and three, let's add four more. And then you've got seven and six and the seven wins. Uh, and the problem with that is, A, it's it's kind of foolish because all that's going to happen is the time uh, the next party comes into power, they're going to add more justices. And suddenly you've got 40 justices up there and a little bit of chaos. But the reason this is so dangerous is we can look to Venezuela to see how this works. And back when Hugo Chavez came into power, court reform, court packing was one of his priorities. And he put a lot more justices on the court and shifted the ideological balance. Mm. And since he's done that, that court has heard 45,000 cases. And do you know how many of them they've decided against the government? Zero. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so the problem with court packing is that it can really erode the legitimacy of the court. People, the American people are smart and they can see what's happening and they don't want a court that's just the really the tool of an administration where it's judges are added and taken away just to meet the whims of the prevailing party. They want a stable judiciary that's independent from political control that cares about the law and protects their rights. Do you think by having, let's say, you know, Biden appoints more justices to the bench, then let's just say that the uh, shift of power changes in 2024. And then in 2025, we have a new president who puts maybe perhaps more conservative type justices on the bench. So now you have, like you said, 40 justices on uh, the Supreme Court. Does that not then turn it more into a legislative body rather than a judicial body? Sure. I think there could be a risk of that if by legislative, you mean the courts are just creating law according to their policy preferences rather than interpreting the law, which is their constitutional role. Uh, And I think that is definitely a danger of what we could see happen if if this court packing happens. You know, I know over the summer we saw the most unprecedented thing happen, and that was the leak coming from SCOTUS 
pertaining at the time, a potential decision, a draft decision regarding Roe v. Wade, and to see the threats towards the justices and to now see uh, a lot of people saying that SCOTUS abolished abortion, which they did not abolish. They just gave the power back to, quote, the people and their elected representatives. Um, still, there's just a side of the aisle that prefers to hear abolish. And so now we're seeing even more of a push, I think, for the the issue of court reform. Do you think that the whole Roe v. Wade decision um, is what really caused the court reform to accelerate? And do you think that this administration is trying to get this done before November elections? Great question. And yes, I do think that the Roe v. Wade opinion, uh, overturning the Dobbs opinion, overturning Roe v. Wade did lead to that. You can just look at the rhetoric and you'll see the uptick as soon as that opinion came out. The Biden administration became more aggressive in its calls for court packing, as did many others and primarily the Democratic Party. Now, the thing is, to pass that, you would have to pass um, a law that would increase the number of justices on the court. And to do that, you would have to get 60 over. You'd have to get the 60 votes to pass um, pass cloture and get it out and then pass the filibuster. And so right now, the filibuster is still in place for that. And so the only way they can pass court packing is if they get rid of the filibuster. And right now we have a very closely divided Senate. And fortunately, uh, Senators Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema have said, no, we're not going for this. We're not going to abolish the filibuster. We're not going to pack the court. So right now it's looking like it would be very difficult for the Democrats to pass it unless they're able to get those senators over to the other side. But that being said, things are there's a lot of political upheaval right now. And we'll see what happens in midterms if more more Democratic senators are added, that's something that could very well be um, a possibility in the future. Is court packing a violation of the Constitution? Sure. So I would say that the principle of making the judiciary a political football violates constitutional principles of separation of powers. That being said, there's nothing in the Constitution that says you have to have nine justices on the Supreme Court, no more, no less. Uh, there that that has been the number for the last 150 years. And I think it's a very strong precedent and you need a very, very good reason to change that number. But it's not in the Constitution. Um, so but again, the principle of it should be an independent judiciary. That's a check and balance on the other branches. That is very constitutional and shouldn't be violated. This is just fascinating to me because, you know, I think in so many regards, it's almost like we're just seeing our Constitution just being trampled on. We're just seeing all three branches of government dealing with their own issues. And um, for Americans who may be watching that are discouraged with what's transpiring in our nation and now seeing this hard push for court reform or court packing, um, what advice would you give them? I mean, is there... What can they do to try and stop court packing? I mean, do they contact their senators? Do they contact their representatives? What can they do? Absolutely. So they can, one thing they can do is go to supremecoup.com. That's supremecoup.com. And that's a website First Liberty's put together where your listeners can learn more about efforts to pack the court and what they can do. There's a petition they can sign and they can learn how they can contact their representatives, particularly their senators, to tell them, hey, we are part of, like you were saying, that 68%. 
that doesn't want the court changed. We want to ensure stability and judicial independency. So that's one thing they can do. Um, And another thing they can do is go to firstliberty.org and they can see actually some things that might really give them some hope. Because despite all the craziness surrounding these calls to reform the court, we had a great term at the court last year. First Liberty actually had two cases at the court um, out of 65, and they were religious liberty cases. And we won both of them far and away, just a fantastic win that really uh, changed the law in a good way to bring it back to what the Constitution intended to protect religious freedom and the free exercise of all Americans. One was the Coach Kennedy case and another was a school choice case. So there's actually some really good things happening um, and some really great organizations doing work to protect our freedoms. But it takes all of us standing up and using our voice to ensure that 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 we the people are the firewall that ensures that our freedoms are not taken away. That's so good. You know, just seeing, again, everything that's going on, um, knowing that there's a lot transpiring between now and midterms. Are there any cases that are going before the Supreme Court that we should be watching and that Americans should be um, alerted to? Sure. So there's one case that's coming up right now. It's called the 303 Creative Case. And in this case, there's a wedding website designer who lives in Colorado who is under a law there in Colorado that would require her to make wedding websites for same-sex marriages. But for her, this would violate her religious beliefs. So she doesn't want to have to do that. But she's lost at the lower levels. And the courts have said, no, you have to do that. So fortunately, the Supreme Court saw that and they decided to take the case. And they're going to be answering whether forcing someone to create an artistic product and use their artistic skill to communicate a message that violates their religious beliefs They're going to ask whether or not that violates the free speech clause. And I'm very hopeful for a good opinion there. And that's the good news is that that good opinion will then lead to greater freedom of speech for Americans. So that's one. And First Liberty is actually also appealing two more cases up to the Supreme Court right now. We filed our petition in one uh, last week. It's called Groff versus DeJoy. And this one is could really impact the rights of everyone in America who works for an employer. Because right now, there's old Supreme Court precedent that says if you're a person of faith and you have um, you need a religious accommodation, in this case, our client was a mailman, and he asked for a religious accommodation to not have to work on Sunday so he could observe the Sunday Sabbath. And the post office said, nope, uh, that would be too much of a burden on us. And so instead, he was fired. And the current legal standard under this bad precedent is that it's just there's if it'll create even a minimal burden on the employer to accommodate the employee, they can just fire the employee rather than giving them an accommodation. So we've appealed this up to the Supreme Court, and we're very hopeful that the court will take this case and ensure that these religious freedom rights are protected for employees. That's amazing. I mean, I know that religious freedom is so key and that's what makes America so great because having spent time overseas, I know that there have been people who long to come to, to America because they wanted to freely practice their faith without the fear of retribution and persecution. And so it's amazing what America represents. And it's sad to see that there's individuals who want to try and take that away. But then also what's amazing to me is that there's also a lot of Americans who don't know. They don't know their constitutional rights. They don't know uh, why particularly our First Amendment is so important as well as the, the rest of the amendments. Um, why do you think 
religious freedom is so important. I know that's something that First Liberty uh, specializes in and representing religious freedom cases, but why do you think religious freedom is, is important? So religious freedom is the first freedom protected in our Bill of Rights. It's the first clause in the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And you will not find a country where religious freedom has fallen and the other rights have remained. It is really the bulwark of our freedoms because it has to do with people's conscience and their ability to do what they think is right according to their religious beliefs. And if the government can take that away, there's really no limit on what they can take away. So at First Liberty, we even have people who are not people of faith. They're atheists, but they've come from other countries and they say, I don't need protection for religious freedom because that I'm not a person of faith. But they say, but I understand how important it is that we protect this because if this one falls, they all do. So that's why we protect religious freedom, among other reasons, at First Liberty. Do you think that... Um, America right now, I mean, it just appears that we're seeing a lot of just attack on religious freedom and particularly it was escalated during the COVID pandemic and the lockdowns. Um, do you think that we're going to continue to see this attack on religious freedom or do you think that eventually we'll see a turn around where perhaps there's not a whole lot of attacks on religious freedom? Sure. So the good news is under the Coach Kennedy case, that was really a case, um, the one involving the high school football coach, we were asking the court, does the government telling him that he can't pray, does that violate his free speech rights and his free exercise rights? And the court not only said, yes, it does. They also said there was this really bad precedent called Lemon versus Kurtzman. And it involved the establishment clause. And it said basically anywhere that the government is, religion cannot be there also. And so the reason that Coach Kennedy was fired is because he was a government employee. And they said, oh, for a government employee to pray, that's a government endorsement of religion. And under Lemon, we have to fire him. Well, the court looked at that and they said, you know what? Lemon versus Kurtzman really got it wrong. The Lemon court was trying to say, oh, this will this will keep government neutral toward religion if we just say no religion. But as most Americans probably know, that's not neutrality. That's actually discrimination to say, instead of tolerating religion, we're just going to shove it completely out of the picture. And that's neutrality. It's really not. It's government discrimination against religion. And so the court said that Lemon versus Kurtzman was wrong and it's dead and it's no longer good law. And that really opened up an entire new avenue of religious freedom and free speech that Americans hadn't had under current, under previous, excuse me, Supreme Court precedent. And so because of that, um, it's it's a tremendous start. And the Supreme Court and the law is like a, a big ship. And it was headed in the wrong direction, and it's been turning. Um, and this was a big turn in the right direction. It's still got a lot, a lot more of a way to turn. Um, but the good news is Americans do have greater rights now than they did even at the beginning of this year. And that's important because, like you said, there are a lot of attacks that are going on. And that's why it's so important for Americans to know their rights and to stand up for them. That's incredible. And I'm so glad that the... the Coach Kennedy case was such a huge win and such a huge victory there for First Liberty. And, you know, it's it's so great to see people who are fighting for freedom, particularly religious freedom, because like you said, that is literally the foundation. And what country have we seen where they've lost religion and then all the rest of their rights are protected? It just doesn't work, let alone it's also a fundamental human right as well. So that is incredible and, and so impressive, the work that you all are doing. Um Another question here that I have for you is that 
in regard to these successes, these wins that we're seeing here in the Supreme Court, if indeed court packing moves forward, will it be more difficult for cases to approach the justices? And would there be fear that, maybe fear is too strong of a word, but would there be concern that these cases would be more seen through political lenses versus the rule of law? Sure. So the way that it works right now for a court to get to the Supreme Court, you have to get to four. And what that means is that the nine justices, four of them have to agree to take the case. And if you pack the court, those numbers are going to change. It's still going to require a substantial number, but it's going to be harder to get cases that really impact religious freedom and our other constitutional rights. Uh, These new appointees to the court may be less inclined to take those kind of cases, or they may take cases where they think they can make ground on the political and policy issues that the president who appointed them wants to see advanced. So yeah, I think it's a a huge concern that good cases won't make it up to the court because they won't be able to get enough votes to actually get on the court's docket. Um, Actually, 8,000 roughly cases, about 8,000 cases are appealed up to the Supreme Court where parties ask the court to take the case. And they generally only take 60 to 70 cases. This last year, it was 65. So it's very, very hard to get a case up to the court already. And if the court's packed, that's going to be even harder. And if it's packed, it's also going to be a lot more likely that the decisions that come forth um, are more based on policy preferences rather than a desire to be faithful to the Constitution and the rule of law. So, yeah, those are those are huge concerns with court packing. And just for those who may be wondering, is the court packing just solely SCOTUS or would that also affect then your circuit appeal courts or appellate courts? It's primarily focused on the Supreme Court, uh, primarily because it has had a fixed number for quite a while. And the other courts, uh, it, it, ha- it is something that's been looked at, but it wouldn't be quite as impactful because those courts are different in that it's generally not the entire body of the judges who are looking at a case. They do it in panels. So you'll go to the Fifth Circuit. And I believe right now there's uh, 15 justices excuse me, 15 judges on the Fifth Circuit. And when you take a case to them, only three of them will hear that case and they'll decide it. And uh, if you lose the case, you can then appeal for that case to be heard on banc, which is with all the justices. So they go and they, excuse me, the judges, and they sit in a, they sit in a horseshoe and they'll all listen and hear that case. So if those, if those uh, panels and those circuits were packed with more justices, then when you go sit on banc, that could really impact it. Or you'd be more likely to draw a panel that's uh, not going to be as faithful to the rule of law. So yeah, that could, that could definitely be a concern. But right now, the primary focus, uh, including the focus of Biden's commission, was on the Supreme Court. Well, that is just so interesting what is just going on, you know, particularly in the judicial branch and just seeing how just the intricacies of how law works, you know, when we move it from the legislative branch, sign into law by the executive branch, and then how we have just the neutrality of the judicial branch. Um, It's just, it's amazing what our founding fathers did when they set up our form of government and, um, You know, when we talk about freedom, when we talk about our constitutional rights, and we're now having to talk about potentially the Supreme Court changing, will that impact the current justices on the court? I mean, if we pack the court, would the current justices, like, 
Justice Roberts, Justice Thomas, Justice Alito, would the court packing specifically affect those three? Um, Because I read one report, and whether this is true or not, um, that they're looking at that a justice can only serve up to 18 years, not a lifetime appointment. So what would that do to the current justices if indeed this is successfully passed? Yeah, a bill was, just as you were saying, just introduced in Congress that would impose term limits on the justices. Right now, uh, the Constitution says that judges are appointed uh, basically for life. It's for good behavior. Um, And so unless they're impeached, they stay on the bench. And what this bill would do is it would create term limits of 18 years. And what's interesting about that is, as you identified, the first three justices to go would first, uh, they're the oldest, and they've been serving, they've had the longest tenure on the court, would be first Justice Clarence Thomas, then Chief Justice Roberts, and then Justice Samuel Alito, who just wrote the Dobbs opinion that overturned Roe versus Wade. And there's different debate about how exactly that would work. Some would say they would uh, just take senior status where they would basically be sent down to the lower uh, the lower circuit courts and they would just basically uh, do that, but they would still be judges. So it wouldn't be actually removing them. So they're saying maybe it can still be constitutional that way. And that's an open question. But I think the problem The problem with that is that uh, it it can really undermine the independence of the judiciary because just the reason that we created lifetime tenure originally in the Constitution was to protect independence. You want a judge who's up there who says, I've got this job for life and I have security in that. And I know there's also a provision that says that their salary can't be reduced. So you because of that, you can't have someone like a president who comes in and says, hey, you better rule the way I want or you're going to lose your job or you're going to have your pay cut. Instead, they have that protection to ensure they can make their decisions independently. Um, and also that ensures that let's say that a party has a case coming before the court. Let's say it's a Um, It's a big pharma company. And if they know that that judge is going to be leaving the bench, they can say, hey, rule for us. And then we'll provide you a really cushy position in our company. And lifetime appointment prevents that. It says that the judge is going to be there and it just protects their independence. So term limits could be problematic because someone who's been a justice might say, well, I've done my 18 years. I'm going to leave and go do something else that can make them more 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 open to different influences. Um, and just creates a lot of problems as far as as far as independence and even stability on the court. I know earlier I had mentioned that um, what type of advice would you give those who may be watching uh, what they can do, particularly contacting their senator and representative. But uh, I usually always like to ask guests a call to action. So what would be your call to action for those who want to make a difference and feel like that, that they need to do something What would that be? I think it's exactly what you said. It's so important that we contact our representatives and let them know where we stand. And a lot of people think, oh, I just need to contact them if I'm opposed to something. No, if you appreciate what they're they're doing, if you've got a senator or representative who's standing strong, it's so important to contact them and say thank you. Because when all they're doing is getting negative pushback for for the stands they take, it's it's a little demoralizing. But when they're getting encouragement for doing the right thing, that helps them stay strong. So if you're in a district where your representative or senator is saying that they're interested or open or even proposing court packing or term limits, contact them and let them know that that's not something you support. And if they're standing firm against it, thank them. 
And your listeners can also go to firstliberty.org and just sign up for our email alerts. We This is something that we're very passionate about is ensuring the judicial integrity of the court. And so we send out email blasts once a week. And a lot of those cover what's happening in the judiciary and things like court packing. And when there are things that people can do, we'll let them know through those emails. That's so incredible. Well, thank you so much, Cassie, for sharing with us how the Supreme Court works, the judicial branch, because I think this is so enlightening for those who are watching and and listening because, you know, it's so important that if we want to protect freedom, we also need to know what we're up against, but also the role of how our government works. So thank you so much for being with us today. And I look forward to having you back. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me and for all you do. Thank you. Well, as I close here first, I just want to thank Vibrant Health MD for sponsoring this episode. Vibrant Health MD is a health and wellness practice based in Plano, Texas, that will help you discover a healthy life so you can live your best life. And let me tell you, their vitamins and supplements are amazing. So be sure to check out Vibrant Health MD. That's vibranthealthmd.com vibranthealthmd.com. And again, I just want to thank Cassie for being on Freedom Talks today. And I hope that you were able to take away so much from what she shared and how the judicial branch works, because it's so important, like Cassie had mentioned, that we, the people, we're the firewall. We are we are the ones who are standing in between uh, the government and our freedoms being trampled upon. And that is why it is so important for us, for we, the people, to do our part, to make our voices heard, and to contact our representatives, to contact our senators, to let them know that we don't want this, that we don't want the, the uh, court packed and, and under the guise of court reform, because we want to make sure that we have justices who will uphold the rule of law, who will be objective, not political, and to to be nominated on the bench solely because of the color of your skin or solely because of of politics, that's not what it should be about. It should be about the decisions of upholding the Constitution and particularly the rule of law. And so uh, we just want to encourage you to contact your representative and your senator. But more importantly, if you do not have a pocketbook Constitution, please get one because it is so important that you know your rights. Um, that in itself is, is imperative, particularly just because of the times that we're living in. Um, if you want to learn more of what First Liberty is doing and how they're fighting to protect religious freedom in the courts, visit firstliberty.org. And like Cassie said, sign up to their emails and stay informed. I've done it too, and it's just incredible the work that they are doing. But also, um, you know, together we've got to be a voice. We've got to be able to stand up. And as you've heard me mention a lot here in Freedom Talks, the righteous are as bold as a lion. So we need to be like those lions to be bold and stand up for righteous causes and to make our voices heard by contacting our representatives and senators. So today, I just want to thank you for tuning in to Freedom Talks to learn about this issue with the judicial branch that is um, headed our way, but we just believe that good things will come out of this because together we will stand for righteousness, we will speak truth, and we will protect freedom. Thank you and God bless. 